Jewish audio on Chabad.org. Continuing in the Rambam, Hilcha Shabbos, Perik, Shnayim Ve'esrim, Chapter 22. Continuing from the last chapter, Chapter 21, we're learning details of rabbinic ordinances, decrees, which go by the name Shvus, based upon the idea of Tishbos, that we have to rest. Our sages issued a series of decrees to withhold from doing certain activities which could either be misunderstood for a violation of a biblical melacha or could lead to an iser skila, to a prohibition, which could lead to a death penalty, God forbid. And this is known as the category of shvus, the rabbinic decree of shvus, and he goes through decree by decree in great detail. And this helps us understand many of the quote-unquote contemporary violations of Shabbos based on the logic within these laws. Redi Aleph, Redi Asapas, bringing down, taking down, removing the loaf of bread from the side of an oven. We learned earlier that back then the ovens were large and fiery and they would take the dough, the bread, the ready-to-cook, the ready-to-bake bread, stick it on the side of the oven, and then when it would be done, they would take a tool, like a baker's peel, and peel it off. So what happened here is, we're going to learn a scenario of somebody who stuck bread into the oven before Shabbos, which is fine, but Shabbos began and he did not yet take it off. Now, taking bread out of the oven is not a biblical violation. No, no big deal. Redias hapas, taking bread out of the oven, off the side of the oven, even though it's not. A forbidden labor, our sages prohibited that act. Why? What's so terrible? Because they were concerned if people would habitually remove bread from the side of the oven, sooner or later they're going to say baking is okay, and they're going to start baking on Shabbos. Which, of course, would be a serious biblical violation of a labor. If somebody sticks a bread onto the side of the oven while it's still daylight on Friday, and then suddenly the Shabbos entered, the day was sanctified upon him, time ran away from him. What should he do? He now has bread in the oven, which is going to burn to a crisp. Furthermore, he has no challah for Shabbos. Matzil mimena mozein sholish sudas. So the sages permit him to save, to remove from this bread enough for three meals. And assuming he's got a lot of bread in there, he can also say to his friends and neighbors, Come, save, remove bread for yourselves. It shouldn't get ruined, and you should have food to eat, and so on. And even though taking the bread out of the oven, off the wall, is not a labor violation, but when he does, he should not use the tool which is traditionally used, called a baker's peel, 
Ella Bisakini should use a knife or other homemade version of removing bread from those ovens, in order to change the regular procedure, which is a basic tenant in Shabbos, that if we change the regular procedure, we have less of a violation. Bays, next law, our sages instituted that you're not allowed to go into a communal bathhouse and bathe on Shabbos. Why not? Why did our sages forbid entering a bathhouse on the Shabbos? What are we doing wrong? It's not so terrible. We're not violating any biblical law. The answer is, the answer, my friends, is blowing in the wind. Because of the bathhouse attendance. What did they do? Show you They would heat up the water on Shabbos. And when they were asked, was this heated up on Shabbos? They would say, no. We did it before Shabbos. And they're not reliable. Because they did it because that was what they did. Lefiko therefore goes to our sages, instituted a decree, a shvus, that a person should not enter into a public bathhouse on Shabbos, period. Even just for the Schwitzbord part of it, even just for the sweat. He's not even going to go into the water. What's the difference if the water is hot or not? He's not going into the water. Furthermore, our sages decreed. I said public bathhouse, but the same applies to a bath. That a person should not wash his entire body in hot water on Shabbos. Even water that was heated before Shabbos. Because of the concern that when he gets into the habit of washing with hot water on Shabbos, even though it was preheated before Shabbos, he's going to sooner or later heat it on Shabbos. But just to wash his face, his hands, and his feet, that is permissible because there is a certain element of hygiene and cleanliness required even on Shabbos. When does this apply that this decree is in place? With water that was heated by fire. Because we're afraid you're going to heat up. The bath on Shabbos, Avobat Bachametveria, with the hot springs of Tiberias, or, or any other natural hot springs which are not heated by fire, Mutilishtatabankogufe, one may wash his entire body because this was not heated by fire. And therefore, confusion will not come about. However, it is forbidden to bathe in hot springs located in caves. Why? Why is the cave not the same as the hot springs of Tiberias? Because the caves also have hot air, like a sauna, and therefore it's too similar to the bathhouse. And here we see the system of these rabbinic decrees. It has to do with human nature. The mistakes that the human being will make in mistaking next week that because last week I did this, or I saw this and this guy do this, this must be permissible. These are the, this is the logic of these shmus type decrees. 
Gimel, along the same lines, Mishamim Odom Keneged Hamadura, a person can warm himself before a fire. There's nothing wrong with standing in front of a fire and warming yourself. Then when his body is good and warm, he'll go take a cold shower. He'll wash his body with cold water. But he should not do it vice versa, the other way around. He should not first take the shower and then stand in front of the flame. Why? What's the difference whether he stands in front of the flame, warms up, and then washes himself with cold water? Or he first washes himself with cold water and then stands in front of the flame? Because he's going to be heating the cold water that's on him by standing in front of the flame. It's too similar to washing one's body with hot water. Because if you have water all over your body and you stand close enough and long enough near a flame, the water is going to heat up. It's going to become at least lukewarm, which is going to be too similar to the hot bath or shower. Now, here I hope that a diagram was distributed. Hamevi Silain Shelchainan. People on that side have a diagram. Hamevi Silain Shelchainan Beseich Mayim Chamin. If. Okay, everybody have it? If a duct, a pipe of cold water was caused to pass through a body of hot water. What happens when a pipe of cold water is caused to pass through a body of hot water? It warms up. It doesn't, doesn't become hot. Depends how fast the water goes. But it certainly loses its chill. Becomes lukewarm. Even in the hot springs of Tiberias. Even though we learned earlier that the springs would not be so terrible because they're not heat. Certainly in water that was heated by heat. This is forbidden on Shabbos. And being that this water was warmed on Shabbos, it is forbidden to wash with it or to drink it on Shabbos. And here you have a diagram of the pipe, which is going through a, a duct of water, going through a hot spring. This should not be used on Shabbos. Dalid for maybe a person could bring a cask or a flask of water, place it in front of a fire, not to heat it, but to get rid of the chill. And also a jug of oil may be placed near the flame in order that it should lose its chill. Not that it should be heated. And a person can then place the oil on his hand or place the water on his hand and stand near the flame and warm up the water or the oil. But not too hot. And how does he identify too hot? If this water were to hit the belly of a newborn baby that's too and harm it and burn it, because newborn babies are very sensitive, that's too hot. Similarly speaking, one can warm a cloth and place it on one's stomach on the Shabbos. Let's say somebody has a stomachache. The doctor says you need a heating pad. How do you get a heating pad? You take a cloth and you warm it up and place it on your stomach. That's, there's your heating pad. 
When I was a kid, they didn't have heating pads. They had hot water bottles. For those of you who are old enough. Hey, Ambati Shomer Mayim Chayim. A bathtub which is filled with hot water. You have a hot bath. You can't put cold water in to a very hot bath because what you're doing is heating the cold water. You also shouldn't put a flask of oil into the very hot water because it could boil it. You may, however, place hot water into a tub of cold water to remove the chill off the cold water. Because when you place the cold water in the very hot water, it could boil the cold water, but not vice versa. Vov 6, Mecham Shepina Mimenu Mayim Chamim. After hot water was removed from a cooking urn, not that's right now connected to electricity, but like a thermos type thing. Mutalit, or it's taken off the fire or whatever. Mutalit in Lesechem Mayim Tzainen, Kedelav Shiram. The thing is still hot. So you're allowed to put cold water in in order to make that water lose its chill. Mutalit Sech Mayim Chamim Letech Mayim Tzainen, Eitzainen Letech Chamim. It is permissible to pour hot water into cold, cold water into hot. Who? Provided that, Shalayil, the Klirishin, that they not be in the original vessel in which the water was heated. Because the original vessel called a Klirishin, the first vessel, heats things tremendously. In general, on Shabbos, we're always advised to take something and remove it from the original vessel in which it was heated, called a Klirishin, put it into a second vessel, and then we do what we want. Relatively speaking, with the second vessel, because it loses its initial powerful heat. Similarly speaking, a boiling pot. She took the boiling pot off the fire. It's no longer on the fire. Don't put spices into it, because you're going to be cooking the spices. Technically, you could place salt in it. Why salt? Because salt needs a powerful fire to cook. And here the salt is not going to cook so fast. However, once you pour that cooked water from the original cooking pot into a plate, so now it's in a kli shani, a second vessel, even though it's still boiling hot in the plate, it is then permissible to put spices into the plate. The rule is, no matter how hot it is, a second vessel does not cook things. We learned earlier about Chiltis, chapter 21, Halacha, 22, we studied about chiltis. It is translated as a bitter tasting resin or root used for medicinal purpose. Asa fetida, A-S-A-F-E-T-I-D-A, which is this herb which people used to take for medicinal purposes. So the chiltis had to be soaked in water, we should not soak it, not in warm water, not in cold water, but we can soak it in vinegar, which is another option. Now this chiltis, the directions on the prescription says, drink 
for three consecutive days. So if he drank it on Thursday and Friday and now it's Shabbos, and if he doesn't drink it, it's not going to work, he's going to get sick. He can soak it in cold water on Shabbos. He can place it in the sun until it heats up. And he drinks it in order that he not become ill. If he suddenly withdraws from it and stops drinking this chiltis, this herb. I'm going to have a little chiltis. No, I'm just kidding. This is tea. Ches, dober shenis bashul kedem Shabbos. Something cooked before Shabbos. A nishra b'chamen b'lefnei Shabbos, or soaked in hot water before Shabbos. Afal pishu achshav tzeinu, even though it's now cold, but it was already cooked. Muter l'shrei se b'chamen b'shabbos. You can soak it in hot water on Shabbos. V'dober shu tzeinu. Why? Because once something is cooked, then you're not really cooking it again. V'dober shu tzeinu. Mikor is something that is cold to begin with. V'leibob b'chamen b'leom and never encountered heat. Madichem l'shrei se b'chamen b'shabbos. You can rinse it off in hot water on Shabbos. Imloi if the rinsing off process was not that which completes its function, and he says here in the note that this clause comes to eliminate foods like aged salted fish or sole, whose preparation is completed by washing them with hot water. And as the Rambam writes in chapter 9, Halacha 2, one is liable for violating the forbidden labor of cooking merely by rinsing these foods with hot water. You can rinse it off, but not soak it. Test 9, it's permissible to heat food in the sun. Even though we learned it's forbidden to warm things up in that which was warmed up by the sun, but the sun itself is okay. Because no one will ever err between sunlight and flame. You can put cold water to sit in the sun in order that it becomes heated up. You can take good water, like a clean bottle of water, and place it into not such good water, which is warm, in order for... I'm sorry, you place a, 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 a good water into a pool of stagnant water. The stagnant water is cool. So that the, stag- the good water becomes cooled off. And obviously it's not going to mix because it's in a, a bottle or a jug. Similarly speaking, you can take a cooked dish, place it into a cistern, so that it be preserved. Ten, you would the and a person could mix water, salt, and oil, the table bay pita and dip his bread, and shall use it as a dressing, but who provided that that he makes a little bit. You need some dressing, make a dressing. but don't say, Hey, I'm making a dressing, let's make a gallon of it. Also, that's forbidden. Why? Because it looks like he's a chef and he's cooking. You need dressing, make a little dressing, but don't overdo it. Similarly speaking, do not make very strong salt water. What's the definition of very strong? How strong is very strong? Two-thirds salt, one-third water. Because it seems like he's making fish brine, and that is a problem. As we learned earlier... Fish brine is a preservative, and it's like pickling. 
We may salt an egg, but not radish. Or kvashim b'shabbos, because it looks like you're pickling on Shabbos. Pickling is another form of cooking. Therefore, our sages say you can't pickle on Shabbos. Pickling is forbidden. Because it's like cooking. But there's no reason why you can't dip radish or anything else into salt. And eating it, because you're eating it, not pickling it. Eleven, you can mix wine, honey, and pepper on Shabbos to eat it. But you cannot do it with wine, water, and balsam oil. Because normal, healthy people don't eat balsam oil. So it's reminiscent of medicinal, which we learned earlier is forbidden. Twelve, if mustard has been mixed. They used to like knead or mix the mustard on Friday. The the next day, one can blend it whether by hand or a vessel. And add honey. We shouldn't beat it hard. Mix it hard. be gently mixes it. He stirs. Shachalim or shachalayim shetorfon. May Erev Shabbos, cress, that was stirred on Friday. Lemochar, on Shabbos, one can place within it oil, vinegar, and spices. Again, he shouldn't uh, forcefully uh, mix it. Gently mix it. Shum, Sheriska, May Erev Shabbos. Garlic which was crushed on Friday, the next day he could put it into groats on Shabbos, he should not grind the mixture, he should just mix it. Yud Gimel 13, moving right along, one of the major Shabbos prohibitions is gozes, shearing hair, because they used to shear the hair off the wool and so on. Therefore, as an outgrowth of that, if somebody removes hair from a person's body, he's culpable for shearing. Therefore, as an outgrowth of that, one is forbidden to wash his hands with something that is chemical-based with a substance that will certainly remove the hair off his hands, off his arms. Or off his fingers. Or creates a like a chemical called ohala and similar stuff. So you know it's going to remove the hair, don't use it on Shabbos. However, it is permissible to wash the hands, to clean the hands. With a powder of frankincense. The afar pilpulin with a Powder of pepper, the afar yasmin with the power of jasmine, a powder, the and we're not concerned. Maybe he's going to take hair off on his hands, because it's not his intention, and it's not certain, like the chemical above mentioned. 
If he mixes a chemical that surely removes here with another chemical that doesn't surely remove here if the majority was from that which does he should not clean his hands with it. But if the majority is not from the chemical that must take the hair off it's permissible to use it. 14 In the olden days they used to have metal mirrors. Metal is shiny. They used to have a metal mirror, which they used to look in. So it is forbidden to use this metal-type mirror on Shabbos. What's the problem? What's the problem with the metal mirror? You're just looking in it. No, you're not. Gzeda, because our sages issued a decree, Shema Yasher Barnimin Amadudolim in that he's going to find certain loose hanging strands of hair, and the metal has a sharp edge. He's going to use the sharp edge of the metal to trim the hair, which was a very common thing. Not everybody has a, scissor, a scissors handy, and this metal mirror had very sharp metal edges, which is why this does not apply to our glass mirrors, which have sanded down finished edges. I feel a couple of case, so even if this metal mirror was affixed to the wall. But something that's not metal, you're allowed to see it, look into it on Shabbos and use it, even though it's not fixed to the wall. 15. A person who launders, laundering, is culpable, is liable because of this serious violation of milaben, which is whitening, because in the Mishkan they used to whiten the wool. Discussed earlier in chapter 9, so one who wrings out a garment is also culpable, liable because he's performing one of the activities involved in laundering. Ringing is part of laundering. The fecal, therefore, from that perspective, our sages have taken it a step further and said that also therefore our sages say it's forbidden to press and the buzzword here is press, a piece of cloth or unprocessed fabric or anything similar into the opening of a flask to plug it, lest one squeeze liquids from it. So that's the squeezing thing. One also may not use a sponge for cleansing because the sponge is going to be squeezed unless it has a handle. With a handle, perhaps, a person could be meticulously careful not to put pressure and not to squeeze. Or you cannot cover a jug of water or similar with a cloth that's not set for this purpose. Zeta, all of these are decrees. Shema Yishchit, lest one squeeze the water. What if a cask of liquids breaks on Shabbos? That's a tragedy. This cask is important. Muy importante. He can save from the contents which is pouring out of this flask that which he needs for himself and for his guests for Shabbos. As long as he doesn't sponge up the wine with a sponge or scoop up the oil with his hands, as he would usually do. Because if he does, as he does during the weekday, we're concerned he's going to squeeze these objects. 
So how does he save it? How does he do this? Maybe Kli brings a vessel and holds it under the dripping spot or the spilling spot of this jug. But he can't bring one vessel after the other after the other. Sort of combining one with the other. Because with this, we're concerned that he's going to carry more vessels. He doesn't have enough vessels. He's going to go out and borrow them and go through the public thoroughfare and violate the mitzvah of transferring from one domain to the other. Maybe What if he has guests and he needs more? Then he can carefully, without violating the Shabbos law, bring more vessels and save and contain. Kli acher or another vessel and, and add it to the first. So the guy's going to say, okay, what I need are guests. And here we come to another law of doing things on Shabbos <coughs> in preparation for weekday. <coughs> Therefore, you can only save stuff you need on Shabbos. Therefore, our sages say you need to have guests. So he's going to say, okay, I'll save and then I'll invite people. Maybe they'll come. <clears throat> that doesn't work. El Yasmin, first he has to invite. And then he can save the stuff that's spilling. And if he played a little game and invited people he knew wouldn't come just so he could fulfill his obligation of inviting, that's okay too. Because what's important is to make a, a mark of distinction here that a person does not confuse this act with a permissible act. 17, teach big day. What if somebody gets mud? On his garments, mechas kisei He can rub the inner surface of the garment, because by rubbing the inner surface, the mud on the outer surface will fall off. However, but he should not rub the outer surface of the garment. This is a decree connected to washing and laundering. He can scrape it with his fingernail. That decree of laundering doesn't apply. One, however, should not clean a scarf. Because that's laundering. But a suit or a cloak, it's permissible. Because he's only softening it. 18, minol a shoe, a sandal or a sandal, which became sullied, became dirty, betit, with mud, or excrement, manure. So here he has mud or manure on his shoe. That's a problem. He can rub it clean with water, but not launder it. One should not scrape new sandals or shoes. But you can oil them and you can clean or scrape the old shoes. A pillow or a blanket which was soiled with mud or manure or excrement. He can clean it with a rag. What's the problem with cleaning it with a rag? Ah, the problem is he's going to wash the rag. If it was leather, you could just pour water until the stain is removed. One should also not press the rag firmly. If his hand became soiled with mud, he can clean it with the tail of a horse, or part of the tail of a cow, because the, t- the horse and the cow, they'll sh- violently shake their tail and they'll get clean. 
In the meantime, this could be a good cleansing for you. Or with a very firm cloth, which was used to hold thorns. You can't use a towel <coughs> that you wash, you wipe your hands with. Because that would be a weekday style of doing things. And then he's going to, by second nature, just wash this towel, and that's a problem. 20, somebody who washes in water on Shabbos. What does he dry himself with? He can dry himself with his towel. And he can carry it in his hand. We're not concerned that he's going to squeeze the towel dry, because that is a problem. If the towel is very wet, squeezing it is a problem. So, we know he's not going to do that. So also if somebody's garments got soaking wet in water, he can walk with them. We're not concerned about him squeezing. We also lay the shot, but he may not spread them out to dry. Even at home, we're concerned that the onlooker will say, Aha, this guy washed his garments on Shabbos and he's drying them now. So the question is, what's the big deal? I'm home. <coughs> There's nobody looking. Whenever our sages forbade doing something because of what will people say when they see it, is even forbidden in the innermost private chambers. 21, two mikvahs, one on top of the other. The way it works when you have two mikvahs, one on top of the other, as we often do, you have the real mikvah on the bottom and the sink water mikvah on the top. You have a plug between them. You take the plug out, and the two bodies of water kiss or connect. And therefore, the city water mikvah becomes the rainwater mikvah because they connect it. Now, the problem is <clears throat> what about this plug? You're going to have to return it on Shabbos, and you're going to be squeezing. You can restore it to its place. He's not going to squeeze. His intention is that the water should go out. He's not looking for waterproofing. One may plug a drain with a shmata, with a towel. With a handkerchief, anything that moves. He's got a drain that's leaking. We don't want the drain water to leak all over the food or all over people's vessels or clothing. However, one may not plug a drain so that water should go down to a cistern because then he wants an airtight plug, a watertight plug. We're concerned that while he pushes very hard, he's going to squeeze. Because it remains there in place. It's forbidden to fix the sleeves of garments, like to put cups in, to press cups in. They used to lay things down on a wooden model and press emulating the weekday activity. So also we don't fold garments on Shabbos. As you do in the weekdays when you wash them. <clears throat> but if he has no other garment, he's allowed to fold it 
and, co- and unfold it and cover himself with it in order that he should be uh, he, his appearance should be pleasing on Shabbos as long as it's provided that it's a new white garment because <clears throat> if he presses or pulls too hard it's going to become dirty when he folds, only one person should fold. But to have two people fold also is forbidden. Perhaps the prevailing custom of not folding one's talis on Shabbos comes from here. This is the folding law. We just kind of roll it together and fold it after Shabbos. Chav Gimel 23, dying to change the color of something, dying, D-Y-E, I-N-G, is one of the categories of forbidden law. The figure, therefore, also, from that perspective, <clears throat> our rabbis issued a decree that a woman may not apply rouge to her face, color, if nay, she could say vas, because she's dying. One second, before we go to Tefer, and from this law, we have the prohibition about makeup, that applying makeup on Shabbos is problematic because of this law and other things having to do with smearing. These days, there is something called Shabbos or Sabbath makeup, which can be used these days because of the principles involved in its creation. Tefer... Sewing, me'aves melochas, is of the major labors. The fecal, therefore, also the malas hakar v'akeses hachadoshim b'meichem. When people would buy new pillows or blankets with unprocessed fabric, they would fill it with this fabric. And that was how the blanket or the pillow is created. So one may not do that on Shabbos, filling it with the unprocessed fabric. Gzeda shami yisper, lest... He go ahead after he's finished, and he sew it, which is what people normally do. But if it fell out from an existing pillow or blanket, it may be restored. Tearing, tearing is the opposite of sewing. Tearing is of the major labors. Therefore, if somebody's garments got caught in a thorn bush, he can separate them, which is similar to tearing. Very carefully, very patient and meticulously, in order that he not tear, because when the thorns put the material together, it's like it's sewn together. If it's torn, is not liable. He wasn't intending to tear the garment. We're talking about tearing the material as well. One may put on new garments. Sometimes there's something sewn in the new garments. If it's torn, it's torn. They used to take nuts and place them in a big piece of cloth, wrap the cloth up, and then hit the nuts with something very hard. All the nuts would crack simultaneously. So now you have cracked nuts. The problem is that the sharp edges of the nuts could cut the cloth. It says, we're not concerned with that because your intent is not to cut the cloth. 
25, a person who attaches building materials to each other, this is a derivative of building. We talk now about doors, all doors that are attached to a building which are attached to the ground. All doors which are attached to the ground. They should not be removed from their doorpost. I believe it talks about removing the hinges or replacing the hinges. Now, some of the commentaries say that the next three words, Gzeda, Shema Yiska, goes later. Avol, Dela, Shida, Tebo, Migdol, but the doors of a cabinet, chest, or closet, which are portable, they're not connected to the ground. Ushad, Losses, Hakelem, and other furniture doors, Naitlin, we can remove them, and we cannot put them back. And here the commentaries say, go these three words, Gzeda, because the decree is, Shema Yiska, perhaps he's going to Attach by putting them back. If just the bottom pin comes out, it could be returned. They can completely return it because in the Beis Hamikdash, no shvus, no rabbinic decree was applicable. But the upper hinge also may not be restored in any event. It's, we're concerned that he's going to do a full act of attachment. 26, as an outgrowth of building, in Gaitlin Asarash, you can't make fancy, deliberate braids in one's hair, because you're building a braid. You can't part your hair in a very distinct part. Because sometimes this could appear like one is doing construction. You have a lamp, a menorah, which is made up of many separate pieces, cannot be reassembled on Shabbos. Or a chair that's made up of pieces to reassemble. Because it appears like you're building. If you did, one is not liable. It's not a good thing, but you're not liable. Because there is no construction in portable vessels. Construction is only buildings. There is no demolition. So therefore, although it's not a good thing, nevertheless, there's no violation. If it was just loose, one can tighten it. If you have a child whose vertebrae are out of whack, and you need uh, an expert to come and put, replace them back into the proper order, this is also a form of building. And it should be done after Shabbos, if possible. Now we come to the outgrowth of building called the tent. People used to live in tents. Somebody makes a permanent tent. Chayab is culpable because he's building. A house used to be a tent. To begin with, one should not even make a temporary tent. Nor should one demolish a temporary tent. <coughs> There's a decree ordained by our rabbi, perhaps he's going to create or demolish a permanent tent. But if he did create or demolish a temporary tent, Potter, he's not liable. With regard to a temporary tent, if it's already begun, which means that it's partially there, one could add on it. Kate said, what are we talking about? Talis 
cloth, which was spread forth on pillars or on a wall, and was folded over. If there is a roof of even one hand breadth, Extended before Shabbos, Hareza Meseches Kuli can extend the whole thing by Shabbos. Actually, you also El Godel until he's going to create a big tent. Mechen Kol Kayetzebe or similar because it was already begun. Chaf Ches twenty eight and Teilinus Hakilo. One may not hang a canopy over a bed because that is a tent. Sharinasis Tachtea Oil Aroi because a temporary canopy, a temporary tent is being created. Mutolaniach Mita Bekisio Trasko. However. It is permissible to place down a bed or a chair or a table, to place a table on its legs, even though, hey, that's a tent. That's not how you make tents. There happens to be a tent, but you don't make tents by putting down a chair or a bed or a table. Not permanent, not temporary. 29, here you have a diagram. Any tent with a slanted roof, as we see in the diagram. The, the uh, book we use here in class is the Chayenu book, which comes from the Moiznayim Rambam, and uh, the diagrams are in the Moiznayim Rambam. So you have a diagram of this pitched tent, of the slanted roof tent. Shein Begage Tefach, its roof does not even have the width of one single handbreadth, because it comes to a point. Furthermore, when you go down three handbreadths from the top, you still don't have a handbreadth width, because it's very extreme. Nor is there a span of three handbreadths below its roof of a handbreadth wide. And here in the diagram, he shows B is a distance of three handbreadths. It's still less than a handbreadth. Hareza el arai. This is a temporary tent. And we can even do it to begin with. We can create this on Shabbos because it doesn't have the dimensions of what we call tent. Talisk full of folded garment. A cloth that is hanging. Shayola chutin, which had strings coming out of it. Shikluya bohenmi out of Shabbos, which are hanging before Shabbos. Mutil and mutil farka. One can spread it out and roll it up. So also a curtain, because the strings were the beginning of it. A bridal canopy whose roof is not a handbreadth wide, nor the span three handbreadths below its roof is a handbreadth wide, similar to the pitched end. Being that it's made for this act, you may spread it out and roll it up. As long as it doesn't hang down more than a handbreadth above the bed. A curtain used to close a window. When it's made for this, even though it's not tied, it's not hanging. You can. Block up the window with it. 11. Keva, a hat. Which is made for the head. It has a brim that comes forth round about it. Which creates shade. Like a tent. A brimmed hat is creating a tent over him. It's permissible to put on that brimmed hat. What if his garment 
had round about the head or near the head, like a tent coming out, and is affixed to the head tightly. I'm not sure if he's talking about a hood, because a hood doesn't have a brim, like something with a brim that has a hard brim, like a hood that sticks out, which is solid. And the edge sticking out to create the shade is solid like a roof. Also, that would be forbidden. Because he's making a temporary tent. If he creates, he hangs a curtain or something like that. He must be meticulously careful. He should not create a tent while he's making the curtain, extending the curtain. was a large curtain. One person can't possibly affix a large curtain without creating a tent. You have to have two that should never suspend it in the direction that it's a tent. But one also. And if it was a canopy with a roof, even ten people can't do it because that's by definition a tent. It's going to be, have to be lifted somewhat from the earth. And at least temporarily will be a tent. And finally, 33, a cloth that covers the mouth of a jug. You have a large jug and you drape a cloth over it. That's a tent. You shouldn't cover the whole thing. Because it becomes a tent. It can cover some of it. If somebody filters using an Egyptian-like wicker-like basket, again, he shouldn't lift the bottom of the basket over the utensil on Shabbos. He's tenting. So he's not creating even a temporary tent on the Shabbos. End of chapter 22.